0: This title today, A Blasphemous Truth, last week we started in John 5. And in John 5, Jesus heals a man who is there at the pool waiting for, they had a legend, and that's what it basically was, was a legend of, uh, a, that an angel would come down and stir the waters, and whoever touched the water first after that would be healed. And this was it was kind of rooted in superstition and some Roman pagan stuff that was going on. Uh, so legend really is the right word. And Jesus asked this man, well, would you actually like to be healed? It's kind of the thing of, you know, I see why you're here and I get why you would hope that that's true, but would you actually like something real to happen today? And he heals him. 38 years this man had been a paralytic. Jesus heals him by telling him The power of His words. Take up your mat and walk. And the man gets up and he walks. And like every good deed in the Gospels, what happens? Somebody's there to say, you're not supposed to be walking like that. Isn't that right? So many times, you know, Jesus would heal somebody and somebody else would come along and say, you're not supposed to be doing that. You're not supposed to be happy. You're not supposed to be jumping. You're not supposed to be walking. You're not supposed to be doing that. It's Saturday. It's the Sabbath. You're not doing it right. And we talked a little bit, you know, sometimes that's the way we kind of are with each other. I don't think you're doing that right. I don't think you're saying it right. I don't think you raised your, put your hand down right. I don't think you're this right. I don't think you're that right. All of these things. This is what was going on. But there were deeper issues involved than just the Sabbath. And Jesus very quickly takes these critics of His to those deeper issues in John chapter 5. And when He does, they get Angry. I mean, they weren't happy to begin with, okay? That was part of the problem. But they get angrier at Him to the point that they're ready to actually just kind of do Him in. And we would have to ask, why? why? What was it about His claims that would make them that stirred up and angry? And it's because of where I get this title. What they heard when they heard Jesus speak to their ears was blasphemy. That's a strong word, to lob at somebody, to tell somebody that what you're saying is blasphemy. Another way of saying that is you're a heretic. What you're saying is not only untrue, it's not like you're just wrong. Blasphemy and heresy is where you're wrong, you know it, and I'm going to make sure you know it again. You are evil, is what they are saying basically to Jesus. It's blasphemy. I don't quote George Bernard Shaw all that often. Uh, There are things that we would agree and disagree on, but this one thing I think he got right. There's a famous quote where he said that every great truth starts out as a blasphemy. And that was true with Jesus. Jesus reveals himself as being the Messiah, and some of the first people to react reacted by saying, you're wrong, you're not, you shouldn't be talking like that, it's sin for you to be talking like that, you deserve to die for talking like that, it's blasphemy. And yet, it was true. And many great truths are accepted first with anger, then rejection, and then an acceptance as obvious truth. Isn't it funny how that works? When it can't be rejected on the facts, it's then accepted as, okay, fine, I guess that's true. And and that's the way it is when men are lost, right? You're over in the Metroplex and you're driving around. You know that you went two exits past. You're pretty sure that the third exit is going to be a quick turnaround. And 35 minutes later, three counties and 16 towns, your wife, says, I'm telling you, you don't know where you are, and you've been through anger, you've been through rejection, and finally you say, yeah, okay, I don't know where I am. You know? <laughs> or you think it, and you ain't letting anybody know. <laughs> but somewhere in there, the obvious truth comes back around. In John chapter 5, we see all of this, all of it. So there's the miracle, there is the frustration on the part of his critics that this happened on the Sabbath, and then there is where we're going to get to today. So go in your Bible. to so John chapter 5, we We're going to start in verse 18. Well, let me go back up to 17. Jesus answered them saying, My Father is working until now, and I am working. It's important we get that sentence because when Jesus says, My Father, just those two words, it upsets them. Immediately, they, they, they are already thinking blasphemy because to say my Father, He's saying it like I am of the same essence, the same being, the same divinity as God the Father. And nobody says that because it would be a lie. Except Jesus is saying it. And He's going to prove it not to be a lie. Their first reaction is verse 18. This is why the Jews were seeking all the more to kill him, because not only was he breaking the Sabbath, but he was even calling God his own father, making himself equal with God. So they got it. Okay, it clicked. The second he said it, they understood that was the claim that he was making. And that was the first part of what upset them. Let me, let me skip that one and go here when you deal with what were His claims. The first was equality with the Father. But He goes on, verse 19. So Jesus says to them, Truly, truly, I say to you, the Son can do nothing of His own accord, but only what He sees the Father doing. For whatever the Father does, that the Son does likewise. For the Father loves the Son and shows Him all that He Himself is doing. And greater works than these will He show Him, so that you may marvel." For as the Father raises the dead and gives them life, so also the Son gives life to whom He will. The Father judges no one, but has given all judgment to the Son." that all may honor the Son just as they honor the Father. Now, you, this, this we believe, okay? We came in this morning, most of us, maybe not all, but most of us already believing that Jesus was going to be someday the judge of all mankind. So we didn't come into the room, most of us this morning, with that on our minds. Maybe some of you did. And if you did, or if you didn't, maybe if you came in and you didn't think that, you didn't realize that, you still don't think it, you still are going, mm, I don't know, I'm not going to make the argument. We'll let Jesus make His argument. But that's His claim. Now, you can imagine how to the Jews that were there, they were upset. Some believed Him already. But for those who were upset, you can imagine why this idea that Jesus was going to be their judge is a big problem. I mean, they're sitting there saying, you deserve to die because you're blasphemous, because you're saying you're equal to God. And He says, yeah, well, I'm going to judge you. How does that go down on the third grade playground? And that's about how it went here. They get upset. Well will knock him out. You know, just just upset and ready to kill him. It would rock, if we were in their shoes, it would rock your world to have him say, you may not think I'm anything, but I'm telling you I'm equal to God. And you would have to, any any honest person is going to have to stop and say, is that really true? Is this guy really? I mean, this is a pretty... That's a crazy claim almost, isn't it? I guarantee you if one of us stood up in here today and said, we were talking about this in class this morning, that if any of us stood up and said, hey, I'm God and I'm going to judge you, what would we think about that person? I think the honest answer is off his meds. Isn't that right? I think we would. I think we'd think there was something not quite right with that guy. Maybe a David Koresh kind of egomaniac sort of person maybe? I don't know what we would think. But I don't think we would just automatically say, yeah, that makes sense to me. Really? I don't think it makes sense. But he says this. I have the power to give you life. I also have the power to judge and the authority to judge and take your life. And all of that put together is, is blasphemy. Any one of them is blasphemy. All of it together is just plain damning. I mean, they are ready to kill And what we sometimes miss is part of their job was to protect Israel from these kinds of crazy claims. But Jesus isn't just making crazy claims. Again, I'm not going to tell you that. He's going to tell you that. So he then goes to set out his argument. He doesn't just throw it out there and say, well, that's who I am. Deal with it. He then says, if you don't believe me, because he really does have an interest in converting even the ones who want to kill him. He really wants them to believe. He wants them to know the grace of God. He's not just arguing for argument's sake. So he sets down an argument where he says, Okay, here are my four witnesses that show you who I am and whether or not this is true. And so he starts with John the Baptist. John the Baptist, of course, an interesting character. We looked at him a few weeks ago uh, in John chapter 1, several weeks ago. In John chapter 1, and uh, John, you know, is a prophet who is out there wearing camel's hair. He, he's kind of a, a, a self-denying sort of a guy because he wanted people to pay attention to one thing and one thing only. And that was his bearing witness to the Messiah who had come in Jesus Christ. That was his goal. So John 1, 32. And, ooh, I can read that easy down there. I should just put my Bible down there on that table. I'd read it from here. John bore witness. I saw the Spirit descend from heaven like a dove, and it remained on Him. I myself did not know Him, but He who sent me to baptize with water said to me, He on whom you see the Spirit descend and remain, this is He who baptizes with the Holy Spirit. And I have seen and borne witness that this is the Son of God. This is John speaking at his baptism, at Jesus' baptism. And he bears witness to Jesus. And he says of himself, listen, I am telling you this. The Lord told me what to look for, and it's Him. I saw the Holy Spirit of God confirm it, that it's Him. And I am telling you, with everything that my word is worth as a prophet, Jesus is the Son of God. Now, Jesus brings John in first for, I think, a couple of reasons. One is, there's an irony to it. He says, I'm going to prove to you that I'm God. So let me call my first witness a man. This is kind of an odd irony, but Jesus likes irony as much as we do. So he calls on a guy, but he chooses carefully, doesn't he? John the Baptist was a man that even with his enemies had credibility. No one doubted, even his enemies. You don't see them deny that he came from God. In fact, when Jesus poses the question, to the Pharisees, the Sadducees, and the scribes of the law, he says, answer this for me. Because Jesus liked to do the whole little riddle me this thing. Riddle me this. John the Baptist, did he come from man? Is he just a guy talking? Or did he come from God? And they didn't know how to answer the question. They knew he wasn't really just from man. They knew he was from God, but they knew if they admitted it, all of their credibility is shot. So what do they do? They know they can't say he's from man because the people are already convinced of the truth that he was a prophet of God. And they're stuck. So Jesus once again uses the example of John the Baptist to say, I know that you know that John the Baptist is a prophet. You may not want to admit it out loud, but we know this. And what did he say about me? So he calls John as a witness. His next witness are the miracles that he did. Let's look here. John chapter 5. I want to start around 34. I'm going to catch a little bit about John and then go into this next one. John John 5:34 Not that the testimony that I receive is from man but I say these things so, so that you may be saved He was a burning and shining lamp and you were willing to rejoice for a while in his light But the testimony that I have is greater than that of John for the works that the Father has given me to accomplish the very works that I'm doing bear witness about me that the Father Has sent me, and the Father who sent me has himself borne witness about me. He says, Listen, John was a light, and he told you the truth, and he bore witness in a way that is undeniable. But I got a better one. How about what I've been up to? He says, You have a guy right here carrying his mat who for 38 years could not walk. What's he doing today? You know, it really is that simple when you look at the miracles of Jesus and what happened. He says to these people, forget anything John said, forget anything else I'm saying right now, how about you just deal with the fact that we have a lame man walking. When John the Baptist himself had a moment where he was like, I really need to make sure. i got to make sure that Jesus really is the Messiah. He is in jail, so he sends a couple of guys, a couple of his disciples to Jesus, and he says has them ask Jesus, listen, John knows he's about to die. His time is short. He wants to make sure he hadn't wasted his life chasing after the wrong Messiah, the false Messiah. Are you really the one? Jesus, it seems that without a word, turns around. He's got a crowd around him when they come to him. Turns around, heals, 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 and heals. Then turns back around to John's disciples and says, I want you to go tell them what you just saw. The lame walk, the blind see, the deaf hear, and the dead are raised. Is that enough? And Jesus says here, is that enough? John testified, he was a prophet, you can't deny it. This man is carrying his mat after 38 years of not being able to get up, and you saw him all 38 years, you know he wasn't faking it. Is that enough? It's not enough. He says, I can do better than that. And he brings a third witness to them. He says, how about God Himself? How about we put God on the stand and see what He had to say about me? And that's when he says in verse 37, And the Father who sent me has Himself borne witness about me. His voice you have never heard. His form you have never seen. And you do not have His Word abiding in you, for you do not believe the One whom He has sent. You search the Scriptures because you think that in them you have eternal life and it is they that bear witness about me. He says, how about God the Father Himself? He has even borne witness to who I am. He has told you. He says, now you haven't heard His voice. You haven't seen His form. It's a pretty rough moment. He says, you don't even know Him. But who's He talking to? Church folks. He's talking to church folks, that's the way we would say it now. said, you don't see and understand who I am because you don't really understand my greatest witness, God the Father. You don't hear His voice, but who did? Again, back at His baptism. This is why I think John starts in the description of Jesus' ministry right there. Again, at his baptism. A voice from heaven spoke and said, This is my Son. Well, what are you going to do with that? Some of these people were there that day. And so Jesus says, You didn't hear it. You don't want to hear it. You didn't listen to what He said because you don't really even know God the Father. You know the Scriptures. You search them day after day after day. Very different from what happened in Acts seventeen eleven that I mentioned a few minutes ago. They weren't searching for the truth. They were searching for what we call confirmation bias. They were proof texting, or as I like to call it, spoof texting. I have an idea. I have something I want to hold on to. I have a belief. I have a belief I want to reject. So I go, I find a verse that seems to fit. I rip it out of its context and I make it, cram it into whatever idea I've got and I say, see there, the Bible says so. We do that. They did that. He says, you search the Scriptures all day long because you think that's where salvation is. Of all the blasphemous things that Jesus said that day, that was huge. We would have a problem with Jesus saying that. I think we're actually a little uncomfortable with Jesus saying that right now. But I thought we found life in the Scriptures. He says, and that's your first mistake. You find your life in the God of the Scriptures. You find His will in the Scriptures. Well, you should be in the Scriptures, He's saying, so that you'd see me. If you were really there looking for life, you would have found it. And you'd find it, Jesus says, in me. Because the Scriptures, He says, bear witness about me. From the very beginning, when God says, let there be light, Paul will tell us, God created through Jesus Christ. He was there. He was there even more obviously when God says, let us... Pronouns tell the story, don't they? Let us then go down and make man in our image. Who's he talking to? He was there in appearances that we call Christophanies, where Jesus, pre-incarnation coming in the flesh, appeared to different people. We know that, not always just by deduction we know that because at times like in Stephen's message before his death he will point back and say the Lord talking about Jesus spoke through he says those scriptures were full of me but you missed me because you even missed the Father because you were really looking for something else that wasn't me again we can end up doing the same thing If we're not careful, but there's a great blessing in knowing what he's saying. Says if you want to know, is Jesus really Lord? Is he really the Son of God? Four witnesses. Look at what John the Baptist said, a prophet of God. Was it true? Look at what my miracles say. John says in chapter 20, verses 30 and 31, that that was the purpose of those miracles, that you would believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. That was their number one purpose. More than making somebody walk, more than helping somebody see, it was that you would know that Jesus really is divine, the Son of God. And that doesn't just speak to people who were there in the moment, it speaks to every single one of us. What does the evidence tell you? that God the Father, the Lord of the universe said on multiple occasions, this is my Son. Listen to it. That brings us always to a, a place where we have decisions to make, doesn't it? We have to decide, if that's true, what does it mean? Well, it means Jesus is Lord, but there's something else. You go back to the very beginning, what were his three claims? His three claims were equality with God. If any of that's true, it's all true, and therefore he is equal to God. So what he says then has authority. So you have equality with God. He says, I have the power to give life. He talks about the resurrection. I will be the one who will speak, and the dead shall be raised. Our hope is rooted in whether or not Jesus is telling the truth that day in John chapter 5. He says, these things will show you. My promises are real and I keep them. I have the authority to raise you back to life. And I have the authority to judge. And that should have had them shaken in their boots a little bit. Because if the one they're trying to kill has the authority to judge, they're probably in a little bit of hot water. You don't really want to be that guy, do you? On the on the day of resurrection, you pop up out your grave, you show up at the judgment day and go, Uh-oh. <laughs> You know, it's like a criminal who's been in the court before and realizes they've been before that judge before. And you look up there and you see that it's the guy that you used to make fun of and want to kill. And then you just kind of go, oh, this is not good. It's like being hired by the 7th grader you used to pick on when you were in the 8th grade, isn't it? Oh, dear, that's the new boss? He's the new boss. But then that's true. And so then that makes you have to deal with some things. Okay, if that's true... One, he's telling me I have hope. Look back at verse 24. No, it's not all shaking your boots sort of stuff. There's a lot of grace in here. Verse 24. If it's true, then listen to what he says. Truly, truly. Or if you're a King Jameser, verily, verily. I always like the rhythm of verily, verily I say unto you. I like it in Russian too. Eastern to Eastern the Gavr Yovam. Doesn't that sound cool? It's my favorite Russian phrase. Verily, verily I say unto you in Russian. It's fun. Uh, truly, truly, I say unto you, an hour is coming and now is here when the dead will hear the voice of the Son of God and those who hear will live. For as the Father has life in Himself, so He has granted the Son also to have life in Himself. And He has given Him authority to execute judgment because He is the Son of God. If you are buried, I love this phrase on old tombs or tombs, or tombstones, Old tombstones in the northeast, you'd see this phrase, in hope of the resurrection. And Jesus says here, I make true on that hope. No one goes to the grave in Christ believing who will not be raised to life, period. With some of the things that we face in this life, and with one of the things we will all face in this life, death one way or the other, that hope, is one of our greatest hopes. And we may, when we're younger, I still consider myself younger. When we're younger, that may not be so much on our minds. But it's a reality that doesn't evade us just because of our age. But neither does His hope. His hope is real in every age. His authority is real in every age. His grace is real at every age. C.S. Lewis points out the in mere Christianity, he points out this exact, he's talking about John chapter 5, and he points out this exact intersection that we come to where we have to make a decision. And we don't, get to, we don't get to not make a decision. You make a decision one way or the other. Jesus never leaves us with the opportunity to just say, well, I don't know. No, you've got to know one way or the other. What is he? Who is He? And this is what He was bringing those people to that day. It's what He brings us to this day. This is what C.S. Lewis wrote. He said, I'm trying to prevent anyone from saying the really foolish thing that people often say about Him. I'm ready to accept Jesus as a, as a great moral teacher. That's a popular idea in His day, back in the 50s. It's a popular idea now, probably more popular now, that we would just say, well, He's a great teacher. He said a lot of really good things. I don't think He was really anything but a guy, but... Pretty good guy. He says, I don't think we can say that. I don't accept um, that, we're, that we're able to say that. And then he goes on. That is the one thing we must not say. A man who has, is merely a man and said the sort of things Jesus said would not be a great moral teacher. He would either be a lunatic on the level with a man who says he is a poached egg You can fall at His feet and call Him Lord and God, but let us not come with any patronizing nonsense about His being a great human teacher. He hasn't left that open to us. He did not intend to. Now, it seems to me obvious that He was neither a lunatic nor a fiend. And consequently, however strange or terrifying or unlikely it may seem, I have to accept the view that He was and is God. And he brings you to the same spot this morning. And he asks you what he asked Peter and some of the disciples. He asked them one time, so who do the people say that I am? And they said, well, some think you're Elijah, come back to life. Some think you're John the Baptist, come back to life. And he says, okay, who do you say that I am? And that's what he's asking you today. Okay, who do you say that I am? Peter said, I believe you are the Christ the Son of the living God. Today I put before you the same question Jesus put before them with the same evidence that He put before His critics that day. Who do you say that Jesus is? If He is your Lord, if you believe, this promise is yours. Truly, truly, I say to you, whoever hears My word and believes Him who sent Me has eternal life. And because of that belief, he calls us to do some things as, a, as an act of faith, a step of faith, a walk across that bridge in the picture, so to speak. He calls on us then to believe. He calls on us to trust Him. He calls on us to be buried with Christ in baptism because that is itself belief. It is saying, going down in water and coming back up, normally not a thing. But because I believe your words, because I believe your promises, because I believe your sacrifice, and because I believe your resurrection, I believe what you're doing there. I believe. And we are raised again to walk in a new life in that belief. Where, as Mark was saying earlier, despite all our imperfection, Christ continually, continually cleanses us of anything that isn't worthy of Him grace upon grace upon grace.